Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Story Box, where I, your host, Jay Phantom, has the utmost privilege and honor to unbox the amazing stories of some incredible people from all walks of life and experiences. I'm delighted and grateful that you're here today. Now let's dive into the Story Box and hear more about our guest today. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Storybox podcast. So glad that you have decided to tune in today. My next guest is none other than Will Ahmed. Now, if you don't know who Will is, he is the CEO and founder of an amazing product called Whoop. And if you don't know what Whoop is, it is a next generation wearable technology for optimizing human performance. Whoop today works with professional athletes across every sports league, college athletes across every conference, Olympians, US military, uh, you name it. The company more recently released its first ever consumer product. I, we use it. Uh, my mum uses it. I use it. We love it. Uh, Ahmed has raised more than $100 million, uh, from top investors and has an active advisory board for, that consists of some of the world's most notable cardiologists, technologists, marketers, and designers. Will wrote the feedback tool, measuring fitness, intensity, and recovery, which sparked the underlining physiology and engineering for his work today. Will was also named a 2011 Harvard College Scholar for finishing in the top 10% of his class and a CSA Scholar Athlete, which is pretty damn incredible feat of achievement if you ask me, uh, especially for his age group. He captained the men's the Harvard men's varsity squash team, and Will was recently named to Forbes 30 Under 30 and Boston Business Journal 40 Under 40. So on this episode, we get to diving into the incredible story behind how Whoop actually began, Will's mindset, his process, when people told him no, what he did uh, with that negativity how Whoop has changed the market. So he has literally uprooted such a heavily indoctrinated, uh, saturated market, you could say, uh, with this kind of technology. So it's a really fascinating deep dive and I hope you guys really enjoy it and get something out of it. So with that being said, my friends, before we dive into the story box, I have one huge favor to ask me, ask you, sorry, and that is please uh, subscribe to the story box first and foremost, leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. If you enjoyed this one, your support is greatly appreciated and it goes towards reaching more people 
and my mission, which is to reach every single person on this planet. Uh, so share it around with your friends and family members. Help change someone's life today. Um, and I guess that's pretty much it. You can go watch this full episode now on, on YouTube. All the show notes are below. If you want a whoop for yourself, check out uh, the show notes below too. Click the link and order one. I guarantee you this, this uh, device gives you everything. Sleep, recovery, stress, the whole nine yards. And it's honestly incredible. Uh, I'm really thankful that Will uh, gave me some of his time because he's extremely busy. So with that being said, everyone, let's dive into the story box and hear Will Ahmed's story. Thanks for having me, man. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here, man. Like just reading out your bio, you've, you've accomplished a lot in your life by the sound of it in just a short space of time. And you, you sound like you're very intelligent finishing in the top 10% of your class at Harvard, which is, uh, I would say, a very um, huge accomplishment. I, I usually have one question uh, though, that I love asking people to start off with, and that is, what does success look like to you? I think it's some combination of of uh, happiness and impact. You know, um, <clears throat> I, I've found that that uh, what motivates me in life is, um, you know, building things that have a big impact on people's lives. And, uh, in the case of really the last 10 years, that's been building a company that, that I think provides a, a number of interesting careers and, and, uh, brings really smart people together. So an impact on, on building teams. And, uh, it's a company that also builds a product, uh, with the mission of improving people's lives. And so the more people that use that product, that get value out of it, uh, that also I think is is a high leverage, uh, way to create impact. And then, you know, ultimately along, along that way of, of, I think having kind of a relentless drive, uh, to build a business and build a product, you want to make sure, at least this is what I try to remind myself. You want to make sure that you're, you're grateful along the way for what you're accomplishing and what you're doing. Uh, because that, that in turn, you know, re- reiterates the, the piece of happiness that, you know, is I think pretty critical in, in anything. I mean, what's the point if, if you're not happy along the way? Mm. I'm curious to know where did this idea of success come from for you? Has, has it been more of a gradual thing over time as you've built whoop and you've looked back on all the things you've accomplished or is, was there a catalyst moment somewhere in your life? Well, I think you get to a place where, you realize that the goalpost is never going to stop moving. And I, I've learned that about myself, at least, that I don't think I'm ever going to be quite satisfied with where I am today. I'm always going to think, well, if I could get here, where can I go? Right? How, how much further can I push this? And so if you're someone like that, uh, it makes you realize that you have to be very appreciative of that journey along the way because there's no... There's no set milestone that you're going to reach that's going to give you that sort of ultimate dopamine hit that you've been waiting for. It doesn't. I don't think it actually exists. And so, you need to be um, you need to be pretty grateful for for the journey. And I, I would also say that this has been an evolution for me. I think I think at a different point in time, I would consider success overcoming a level of stress that would break most people. And that's a whole different way to think about success. 
It's, it's to be able to persevere. It's to be able to accomplish things. It's to be able to, uh, you know, rise to the occasion despite difficult odds or, uh, a feeling of, of, uh, failure, frankly, a feeling that you're, you're not succeeding or a feeling that the work that you're doing, uh, isn't paying off. And I think that's something that every entrepreneur feels along the way at some point. And so overcoming that feeling, overcoming those, those moments of, of painful stress, those feelings that I wasn't going to make it, that for me in itself felt like success. It felt like amazing to be able to manage my own emotions through the challenges of building a business or through the challenges of building a, a technology that frankly uh, was quite innovative and along the way looked like it may not work at certain points. Mm. So you know, I would say that that's another lens. It's a helpful lens. It, I think it's been a good lens. Uh, I just find that today I'm, I'm equally motivated to make sure that there's a huge component of, of sort of gratitude and, and happiness to go with all of this. Mm, I love that, man. We'll get to how you started Whoop in a moment and, and what you learned um, when you started it. But um, you mentioned there for a moment that it's more or less overcoming stress. And, you know, I think every single one of us go through stress, especially with running a business. So what were some of the stresses that you had when you first started Whoop? Well, I think the, the first challenge was this feeling that we were going to fail. And, and you know, it wasn't necessarily my point of view. I felt like we were going to succeed. But, you know, when you come when you meet enough people who tell you you're going to fail or you shouldn't pursue something or you've got a bad idea, that wears on you, right? And that's really, I think, the first sort of the first stage of, of enlightenment as an entrepreneur is kind of overcoming what people think of you or what people think of your idea. And, so the, you know, and mind you, I started Whoop when I was 22 years old. Wow. And, uh, and so it's also, I was at a stage in my life too, where I was kind of figuring out who I was mm-hmm. and, and my identity, I think was also closely tied to, uh, what would become the success of the business or lack thereof. And so when people told me that the idea wasn't a good one or the business was going to fail, that in turn felt like, I was actually a failure. And that, that may in part be just the age at which I, I started the company, but I imagine other entrepreneurs feel that as well, no matter what stage they're at in their lives. Were you putting the pressure on yourself to succeed in this business or were other people, you reckon, putting pressure, but then you also had another group of people that I believe kept telling you that you couldn't do it, your idea wasn't worth pursuing. Did you have that as well? Yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone ever was pushing me harder than myself. I think that especially in the early days, you have to be very self-motivated to build a business. You have to be more obsessed with the problem than whatever the potential financial outcome or otherwise could be. It's mm-hmm. really about solving a problem. I, I believe that in, in building any great business. And the other thing that's interesting about, I think, uh, in particular technology businesses is they're often, the most successful ones are often founded on a principle that's quite cr- contrarian. Um, and it's a contrarian point of view that later turns out to be right. 
And our contrarian point of view at Whoop was that sleep and recovery were going to be more important to understanding performance than exercise or performance itself. And at the time, this is 2011, 2012, people were very focused on how you could exercise more to get fitter. And my experience as a college athlete showed me that I was someone who used to overtrain. And I realized I overtrained more in large part because I didn't understand sleep and recovery, not necessarily just because of what I was doing at, at practice. And, and so that was really the lens through which I was looking at physiology and human monitoring. And, and that's where I did all that research to write the paper you mentioned in the introduction on, on sleep and recovery and, and ultimately uh, training effectively. And I think what a lot of that research framed was, again, a, a different way of looking at, at a problem. You know, when I asked coaches about what they would want in 2012 or 2013, a lot of them got very focused on exercise. They would say, I want, you know, sweat technology, or I want better GPS monitoring, or I want uh, more accurate video analysis. And I actually thought that was missing the point. Um, and, and when you ask them, well, what are problems that you have? They always would say, well, we have problems with injury. We have problems with athletes not being fit on game day. Uh, or overtraining. And so I felt like the solutions they were telling me were the wrong solutions to their problem. Mm. And in hindsight, that was a great thing because it it meant that we were early to something that a bunch of people would later catch up to. And it's why today Whoop is in the epicenter of sleep and recovery during a massive, massive cultural shift to care about sleep and recovery and we're, you know, the best wearable technology for doing that. It's because we saw that early and bet on it. Um, but at the time, and this goes back to your question of your feeling as an entrepreneur or as a young founder, at the time, it was quite painful to, to have this point of view uh, because so many people disagreed with it or felt like, well, maybe even if that idea is unique, why are you going to be able to build it? You know, why is this kid out of school going to build this thing? Why isn't, you know, Nike or Apple or five other companies in the market going to build it? And so you have to be a little bit stubborn as well to to overcome that, I think. I have a saying that I I think you might appreciate as well, but it's be persistent to remain consistent at the things you want. And I think that's what you is. You've been relentlessly persistent and that has the flow on effect of you being persistent at what you wanted, despite all the obstacles and challenges that you faced, you ended up being very consistent at building whoop to what it is today. And uh, you were 22 when you started whoop. Do you mind me asking how old you are now? I'm 30. You're 30 years old now. So that's uh, what, eight years ago that you started whoop an eight year span to become an overnight success. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty yeah that's a good way of putting it i mean it it does take it takes uh years and decades in some cases to become an overnight success i think i think the perception of whoop today is that it's a bit of an overnight success in the last maybe 12 months uh but the reality is we've just been grinding away at this for i mean i've been thinking about it for 10 years so I think behind every overnight success is years and years of really hard work. Mm. 
I, I appreciate you saying that, man, because, you know, I started this in November of last year. And, you know, I've still got a long way to go still, but I've been able to speak to some pretty amazing people to start off with, people that I never thought that I would be able to do early on in the piece. I mean, it's been nine months and I, I'm just, I'm grateful for people like yourself, you know, that tell me, you know, hey, it's okay just to take it slow, work hard, take it slow, um, do the very best that you can, but you're not going to reach success instantaneously. And I think it's, that's an important lesson for a lot of people to learn in patience and just being determined regardless of uh, your, what's going on around you, the challenges and everything like that, just to keep being persistent and also maintaining that patience. But for you, well, I'm curious when, when you, you did face these challenges, what were some of the things that you did to overcome those challenges? Is it possible to actually overcome those challenges or is it just working through it? Well, I mean, there's a lot of different challenges that come to mind. You have business challenges like, okay, our revenue isn't high enough this quarter and we missed projections that we showed investors uh, or business challenges like we're running out of money. I've had to work through a couple of those over the years. Um, we're running out of money as a business. Uh, you've got people challenges. So how to, how to manage people effectively, how to hire people effectively how those people then work together, how to empower people. Uh, you have product challenges, like uh, does the technology work? Is it uh, as accurate as it should be at X, Y, and Z? I mean, those are some of the things in the early days, it was all about accuracy. It was all about data. And we really had to overcome a lot of those, um, of a lot of those challenges. And, but, you know, if, if I think about all the various um, categories of challenges, I think they all come back to how I was able to manage myself during those, those periods of time. And that's the thing that I would encourage people to really focus on. I think it's been super helpful for me in my growth as an entrepreneur or a CEO even is to focus on how can I get 1% better today or 1% better this week. and um, and also to avoid comparing yourself to other entrepreneurs, other executives. You know, I think that's a trap that a lot of people uh, find themselves in where, you know, you compare yourself to Elon Musk or Jack Dorsey or fill in the blank famous, super successful entrepreneur. And you think to yourself, well, gosh, they, they made this look so easy and blah, blah. But I think the reality actually is that when they were at your stage on that like day one moment or whatever you know, day you are, mm -hmm. they were figuring it out too, right? But what they did really well is they kept getting better. And so I think that's the important thing is that you focus on how much better you're getting along the way. And uh, and what that does is it helps you become more capable at the challenges that you're facing. It also makes you more appreciative of the challenges that you're facing. And that's, a, that's an important concept to appreciate the challenges that you're facing because you, realize, you learn that those challenges in themselves are going to make you grow and to make you learn. Uh, so it's, it's, it's embracing this sort of continuous feedback loop 
And I think that in turn makes the process of entrepreneurship much more manageable Mm -hmm. because you're no longer looking at challenges as why did this happen to me? You look at these challenges as, okay, this is happening for me. This is giving me an opportunity to grow. I think Ed Milet says it uh, quite often. He's like, things things happen for me, not to me, which is exactly what you said. Um, And uh, you're you're completely right about the challenges. They oftentimes, I think that when we do face a challenge, it can either make or break us. And breaking is not necessarily a bad thing because when we are broken, we learn one of life's most valuable lessons, which is humility. And I think challenges are put into our, our, our lives to bring us to a point that we aren't infallible. We're not superhuman. We are human. We do go through every single day. We go through many different obstacles and challenges that they're all there to make us grow and develop as people. But when we allow pride to get in our way, then we stop ourselves from growing. And I think it's an important lesson for entrepreneurs as well to learn at the same time is that it's important to go through those challenges because they define you. They define where you're going to go eventually because, you know, without great leaders, you you won't have, sorry, without these challenges, they're not going to give you experience to then become a great leader because now you can go to people and say, Hey, look, I've been through this. It's okay. Uh, Here's what I learned from it. And then now you can help others as well. So it's like, passing the torch almost. Um, so I'd share that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. Mm. So to do it, I want to go back a little bit to when you, you were in school. So you, I believe you went to Harvard school. Now, did you always want to be in business when you grew up or was there something else that you wanted to be? Well, I spent three summers working in finance actually. Um, I think I worked for a hedge fund, an investment bank, and a private equity firm over three summers. So there was a little bit of a pull to go into finance. Uh, But, you know, I wasn't that passionate about it. And the question I always asked myself was, did I want to be like my boss's boss's boss, right? Like if I could, who knows whether I could, but if I could have been the, the, the person who who ran that place and had built his whole his or her whole career around um, about running that place? Would I want to be that person? And and I really found that I didn't want to be that person. And for me, that was that was probably the most useful thing about doing internships was realizing what I didn't want to do. And at the same time, I found that I just kept coming back to this specific problem, this idea of continuous monitoring. I think I was always interested in technology. You know, I had the first iPod in my, whatever it was, eighth grade class or something. I had the first um, Palm Pilot when I was like 13 or 14, the one that could connect to the internet, which actually in some ways was a very early version of what the the, uh, iPhone later became, uh, you know, some 10 years later. Uh, and, and I really believed that, uh, computers were going to go from being on your desk to on your lap, to in your pocket, to on your body, to probably over time in your body. And, uh, and so that, that really, you know, I think led me to being quite interested in, in building whoop. Wow, man. So in terms of you actually coming up with the idea, what sort of sparked it, do you think? 
I, I mean, I think a lot of it, it was a confluence of things, but I think a lot of it goes back to the fact that my personal experience of being a college athlete showed me that there were better ways to understand the human body. And here I was at this school, Harvard, which is, you know, higher education. And I felt like I was spending three or four hours a day training and I didn't think it was particularly sophisticated or intelligent. And by you, I had one of the best squash coaches in the world. It wasn't his fault. It just, it was, there was a lack of, there was a lack of data to back up what we were doing. It was all based on feelings. And I came to realize that feelings were overrated, especially overrated for, for highly driven people because highly driven people's minds can trick themselves. You can tell yourself that you can push through when sometimes you, maybe you shouldn't. And so we've now seen this with the best athletes in the world where they overtrain and they, they crash and burn and get injured. And we're now even seeing it with fortune 500 CEOs, executives, people who travel, construction workers, healthcare workers. I mean, gosh, that's important right now. And, and helping people bring more balance into their lives. You can't just tell yourself you're fine. You have to find ways for your body to be properly prepared and to be recovered and to be well-rested. And that's how Whoop has evolved from being a product that the best athletes in the world wear to a product that, you know, mainstream consumers wear. Mm. Do you remember the first person that you approached with Whoop, like in terms of athlete to promote it? Well, we had a a bit of a stubborn point of view early on that we weren't going to have athletes promote the product. We were afraid that if the technology wasn't good enough, there was no athlete in the world and there was no amount of money we could pay that person that would cause them to wear it 24 seven. I mean, how many things do you wear in your body 24 seven? Practically nothing. And so the, the, the ask was very high and we just didn't believe that they would want to wear this thing if they didn't, if the tech wasn't good. And in fact, we saw this with the Nike fuel band because Nike had athletes like LeBron James, Serena Williams, Tiger Woods, and they had a product in market called the Nike fuel band and none of their athletes wore it, even though they were getting paid a lot of money from app, uh, excuse me, from Nike. So, uh, so we didn't try to endorse athletes and still today we don't endorse athletes. Uh, athletes wear our product because it's the best product in the market. Wow. I didn't know that. I thought there was like endorsement. That's pretty incredible to know. So how do you actually stay in demand? Like how do you make your product the very best product on the market? Well, I think some of it's a, um, a bit of a choice, a bit of a choice, uh, for why do you exist? Uh, if I would compare Whoop for a second to the Apple Watch, the Apple Watch does an enormous number of things, way more than Whoop. Uh, you can call an Uber, you can uh, make phone calls, you can play music. It has a high resolution screen and it does uh, what I would consider a small number of things related to health. Whoop is entirely a health product. It's entirely dedicated to collecting health data. And, you know, even just looking at the sensor, like there's no screen on it. It's mostly material. It's largely just designed to collect health data. And we collect in a given day anywhere from 1,000 to 10,000 times as much health data as an Apple Watch. 
because we're so focused on that. And Whoop is really good at the things it does in part because of all the things we don't do, mm-hmm. you know? And that allows us to be the best game in town for the specific set of things that we want to be really good at, which includes sleep and recovery and exercise and thinking about how lots of different uh, behaviors affect your body. I mean, Whoop is like a 24-7 life coach and that's that's what we want to be. And uh, and so that's that's what our service is, you know, designed around. Mm, I like that, man. I think it's I think it's pretty cool. Like the product you've created, and um, I want to shift a little bit more back to your story and and some of the things that you've you've done in, in your life apart from just creating Whoop. And I, I want to ask you, what was the best phase of your life currently, and what was the worst phase of your life? Well. I mean, I'm pretty grateful, man. I, I think I've lived a, I think I've lived an awesome life so far and it feels like it's just, it keeps getting better. And, um, and I'm also one of those people who doesn't, I don't, I try not to have any regrets. You know, I, I think if you're happy in the place you are today, you can't then arbitrarily go back and change one thing mm-hmm. because, you know, it's like the butterfly effect. You could change one thing and all of a sudden you never met your wife. And, and so, you know, for me, I'm, uh, I'm just pretty grateful for where I am in life. I mean, certainly there's been challenging points of, in time. I, I really think those early years of whoop and then even the middle stages of whoop, I mean, after, you know, there was a stage we had raised $50 million and it looked like we might run out of money. And so there was an enormous, I just remember the feeling, the weight of that. And, and also having so much of my life tied up in the company and, you know, having spent six or seven years building it and almost seeing it, you know, uh, go bankrupt. So that for me was probably the hardest, those were some of the hardest challenges, but, but today the business is amazing. And so again, it goes back to, uh, making sure that I continue to grow as a as a leader of of a rapidly growing organization. I mean, today we're 250 employees. Being CEO of a company that's 250 employees is quite different than being CEO of a company that's 10 people or 50 people. And so that that's where at least I try to focus on how can I keep getting better and keep up. Hmm. Speaking about leadership that you mentioned there for a moment, I'm always curious about what does it mean to be an effective leader, especially in business? And what would you think are some of the the traits of an effective leader? You know, it's funny. I think over time, my point of view on this has evolved a lot. Your, your stereotypical leader is um, confident and unwavering and tough. And, I think over time, I've come to also appreciate that you want to lead with some level of empathy. You want to lead with some level of vulnerability. You want to feel approachable. Um, You know, I think a a younger version of me was much more sure of everything. And I think now... uh, I think now I'm more welcoming of disagreement. I'm more, uh, uh, I'm more excited by disagreement. I'm, I, I think of disagreement as an opportunity to ask myself, why do I think I'm right? 
And I think the very best leaders are always in search of the best solution, regardless of where it comes from. The, the fake leader thinks that he or she has the answer to all the problems. The best leader cultivates an environment and empowers people to discover the right answers. And so that is at least what I aspire to be as a leader today. I love that, man. Like I had one person, uh, one of my very first interviews, he was Australia's uh, former police commissioner and, oh, sorry, New South Wales, the state's former police commissioner. And he, and he told me that everyone is a leader. But the difference is you can either be a good one or you can be a bad one. And what I'm always appreciative of is leaders like yourself that have actually gone above and beyond the people. And I like how you said that it evolves over time because that's great because as a, as a person you and as a, a leader, you don't ever want to stay in the one spot. You, you're not going to be valuable if you are staying in the one spot. And I think that vulnerability aspect and, and leading with empathy and just being understanding, that's a very important character trait of a, an effective leader. And that all comes down to choice. And I appreciate you sharing that, man. Like a couple of questions uh, left for you, dude, because I am mindful of your time and I'm very grateful for it. So I, I did notice you have a wedding ring on. Are you, you're married. And I am. Yes. My, my question is, how did you meet your wife? So my wife, Laylee, uh, is French Iranian and grew up in Iran, lived in Paris and then went to Wellesley, which is an all girls school in Boston. And I was at Harvard. And so we met in Boston and we've been together probably for seven years now. And we've been married for, uh, two of them. And how did you woo her to like you and, and, uh, eventually fall in love and get married? You know, I, uh, I, I met her actually at a party and it was a party in which everyone seemed to be having a good time except for her. <laughs> and I think I, I sort of, uh, picked on her from a distance and got her to smile. And that at least was enough of an introduction for me to go talk to her. Wow. I love that, man. That's such a cool story. I feel like there's, there's more to it than just that, but, and seven well, that was, that was the first five minutes. <laughs> and then of a, of a seven year relationship seven year relationship making a smile every day that, that's awesome dude that's the goal yeah yeah and um this question might be a little bit hard to answer but we'll, i'm gonna ask it anyway but just to see how you go because you sound like a very intelligent uh young man so if you were if you could ask a question to anyone alive or dead who would it be why and what question would you ask them Yeah, gosh, that's a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, you kind of stumped me. I'm just thinking. I mean, there's so. I mean, the problem here is that you want to. You don't want to underdo it and like come up with because there's so many interesting people um, throughout history. I mean, I think I would want to, I would want to ask Marcus Aurelius something. I, I've read, I mean, I've read meditations a couple of times and, you know, he was one of the closest people you can be to sort of king of the world. 
Mm-hmm. And yet he led with such a high level of um, vulnerability in some ways is the word that comes to mind. I mean, when you read his, his meditations, this is, this is someone who was still trying to understand his role in the world at a time when a lot of, I think other leaders uh, were, were fall, fell more under the umbrella of sort of cocksure and corrupt. And, you know, you, re, you sort of read these, these history lessons about, about, um, about leaders during that time frame, And he, he seemed really unique and really different. And I think I would, I think I would ask him how I could embody what he did. Mm. Mm. Marcus Aurelius. Wow. I love that. <laughs> that's, the best, that's the best I got on the spot. That's, that's a great, great response to a hard question, man. Well done. Because, wow, Marcus Aurelius. I've got to do more research on him. What's, a, what's another good answer you've gotten to that? Uh, you know, I asked Grant Cardone recently, and I've actually forgot what he said. Um, I'm going to go back and, and listen to his episode dropped today, actually, but I've got to listen to what he said. But there's a lot of people that usually talk about meeting Jesus and asking Jesus. Uh, that seems to be like the cliched answer to the question. Like just ask him how, how he did things and why. And um, then there'd, there'd be like one other person said that, I oh, was speaking to Anthony Hamilton. This is a powerful one. He said, you go to the person that started all the hate and ask him why. And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> I did not expect that. And he answered it like very quickly too. Like he, he knew straight away who was who who going to ask and what question he'd ask them. Just the Sounds people. like he was briefed that that question was coming. It sounded like that, eh? But I didn't, to be honest with you. Like he, he was just. No, I'm just kidding. He, he knew. And I was like, wow, I was, I wanted to stump you, but I didn't. <laughs> but um, I think that was a powerful response to that, to that question because it got me thinking, you know, like I never thought about that before. What if we were to go back to the person that started all this hate and either put a stop to it or just ask him why? And... And that leads me to my, my second last question, which is if you were to be given another chance at life, what would you do differently? I, I mean, I, I wouldn't change a thing. I mean, I think that's the, that's, that goes back to my point that if you're happy at where you are today, which I am, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful where I am. I'm happily married. I'm, I'm excited by the business I'm building. Um, you can't go back and change anything. Otherwise it all changes. Mm. I think it'd be interesting to, to like live a life completely differently, but I, I wouldn't necessarily like, you know, if this whole thing turns out to be a simulation, maybe I'll do that. But, but you know, for, for me, it's really, uh, it's really living the life I've got. I love that, man. My last question for you is my legacy question. So you've been able to reach the age of 100 and your friends have put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how they got it all. They just did call it magic and they've shown it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? 
Well, I would hope that uh, I could have played a role in, in dramatically shaping the way that um, human beings uh, track and measure and improve their overall health. Um, I, I would hope that also I could have played a role in, um, in shaping uh, the government and particularly the U.S. government. I think that I'm, I'm incredibly proud to be an American, but I think that there's things that are really fundamentally broken about the way the country is run. And so uh, I do hope to be able to, to contribute from a public policy standpoint. And then, you know, I, I also hope that on the course of building my career, I am able to empower a lot of other people in building their careers. And whether that's uh, em- employees of mine or team members of mine uh, or uh, you know, other founders and entrepreneurs who I meet who are looking for inspiration or capital or whatnot. Uh, I hope that I can, I can help them meaningfully, uh, on their journey. It's a good legacy to leave behind, man. You've helped me today. Step one, once go one step closer towards my career and in changing the world. So I really appreciate your time today, Will, and, and your story. I have so many more questions for you, but I do want to be mindful of your time. So thank you so much for coming on the Storybox podcast today. You got it, man. Thanks for having me. I don't like this part because it means that sadly, we have come to an end of yet another incredible story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it'll go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.